This episode of Sleepy is proudly sponsored by ButcherBox. If you've listened to Sleepy for a while, you know that I love good food, eating well and treating my body right so that I can take on my days. Well, ButcherBox helps you do exactly that. They deliver super high quality, 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, crate-free pork, and wild-caught seafood right to your door. It's humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones. They have a huge variety to choose from. They are excellent deals. They've got recipes and guides and tips included, and there's free shipping, always. Eating well is a huge factor in getting a good night's sleep, as is sometimes saving the trip to the grocery store and taking some stress out of your daily schedule. I have been loving these deliveries for those reasons. Been cooking up their uh, steak tips with eggs in the morning with butter and scallions and soy sauce. And I also made a delicious brine chicken roast with lemon parsley gravy. So good. The prices for this kind of quality and convenience is really impressive. Uh, yeah, ButcherBox has made me very happy. So sign up at butcherbox.com sleepy and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com sleepy and use code sleepy to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. Butcherbox.com sleepy. Eat well, sleep well. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, and you're listening to Sleepy. A podcast where I read old books to help you get to sleep, and a proud member of the Airwave Podcast Network. I have got a wonderful, snoozy bedtime story for you tonight. But before we get to tonight's reading, I just want to thank all of our patrons on Patreon.com. Hunter Arnell, Michelle McCoy, Sarah Zartalamna, Barbara Hauser, and Fran Boxer. Thank you all so, so much for donating and being a part of making this podcast. And for anyone who doesn't know, all of these wonderful names that I just read are brand new patrons of Sleepy on Patreon.com, which is a website where you can go and support creators of the work that you like directly. So, if the Sleepy Podcast has helped you get a better night's rest, maybe it's become part of your nightly routine, then consider going on Patreon and donating even a dollar a month. You get all kinds of extra poetry readings uh, exclusive to the feed for $5 a month. But no matter how much you donate, I will read your name in the opening credits of the next show after you do. So if you would like to be a part of making this show, go to patreon.com slash sleepy radio. Thank you. And as always, the music you're hearing is by my good friend James Lepkowski and the cover of for Sleepy is by Gracie Kana. Tonight, we have a wonderful bedtime story that will surely, surely put you to sleep, I think. 
It is In the Court of King Arthur by Samuel E. Lowe. Some wonderful little escapades of Merlin and King Arthur and Lancelot and Sir Gawain. Really nice little stories to snooze to. So I hope you enjoy them. Without further ado, In the Court of King Arthur by Samuel E. Lowe. And now is the time for you to fluff up your pillow just how you like it. Feel yourself melt into your bed. Get real comfortable. Close your eyes. And let me read to you. Chapter 1 Alan Finds a Champion I cannot carry your message, Sir Knight. Quiet spoken was the lad, though his heart held a moment's fear as, scowling and menacing, the knight who sat so easily the large horse flamed fury at his refusal. And why can you not? It is no idle play, boy, to flaunt Sir Palamore. Brave knights have found the truth of this at bitter cost. Nevertheless, Sir Knight, you must needs find another message-bearer. I am page to Sir Percival, and he would deem it no service to him should I bear a strange knight's message. Then, by my faith, you shall learn your lesson. Since you are but a youth, it would prove but poor sport to thrust my sword through your worthless body. Yet shall I find Sir Percival and make him pay for the boorishness of his page. In the meantime, take you this. With a sweep, the speaker brought the flat side of his sword down. But if perchance he thought that the boy would await the blow, he found surprise for that worthy skillfully evaded the weapon's downward thrust. Now then was Sir Pellamore doubly wroth. Odd sounds, and you need a trouncing, and so shall I give it to you, else my dignity will not hold its place. Suiting action to where the knight reared his horse, prepared to bring the boy to earth. It might hair gone ill with Alan, but for the appearance at the turn of the road of another figure, also on horseback. The new knight, perceiving trouble, rode forward. What do we see here? he questioned. Sir Knight, whose name I do not know. It seems to me that you are in poor business to quarrel with so youthful a foe. What say you? As to with whom I quarrel is no concern of anyone but myself. I can, however, to suit the purpose, change my foe. Such trouncing as I wish to give this lad 
I can easily give to you, Sir Knight. And do you wish it? You can do no more than try. It may be so easy as your boasting would seemingly indicate. Lad, and the newcomer turned to the boy. Why does this arrogant knight wish you harm? He would have me carry a message, a challenge to Sir Kay, and that I cannot do, for even now I bear a message from Sir Percival, whose page I am but yesterday become. And I must hold true to my own lord and liege. True words and well spoken. And so for you, Sir Knight of the Arrogant Tongue, I hope your weapon speaks equally well. Prepare you, sir. Sir Palamore laughed loudly and disdainfully. I call this great fortune, which brings me battle with you, sir, who are unknown, but who I hope nonetheless are a true and brave knight. The next second, the two horses crashed together. Sir Palamore soon proved his skill. The unknown, equally at ease, contented himself with meeting onslaught after onslaught, parrying clever thrusts and wicked blows. So they battled for many an hour. Alan, the boy, with eyes glistening, waited to see the outcome of the brave fight. The unknown, his champion, perhaps would need his aid through some dire misfortune, and he was prepared. Now the unknown changed his method from one of defense to one of offense. But Sir Palamore was nonetheless skillful. The third charge of his foe he met so skillfully that both horses crashed to the ground. On foot, the two men then fought, well and long, until, through inadvertence, the unknown's foot slipped and the next moment found his shield splintered and sword broken. Now then, by my guardian's sake, you are truly vanquished, Sir Palamore exclaimed exultantly. Say you so. But the unknown had already hurled himself, weaponless, upon the seeming victor, and seizing him about the waist with mighty strength, hurled him to the ground. And even as the fallen knight, much shaken, prepared to arise, lo, Merlin the wizard appeared and cast him into a deep sleep. Sire, the wizard declared, do you indeed run many dangers that thy station should not warrant? And yet, I know not whether we, your loyal subjects, would have it otherwise. Now Alan, the boy, realized he was in the presence of the great king, he threw himself upon his knees. Rise, lad, said King Arthur kindly. Sir Percival is indeed fortunate to have a page, who while so young, yet is so loyal. So shall we see you again, 
kind Merlin, and the king turned to the wizard. Awaken you this sleeping knight, whose only sin seems an undue amount of surliness and arrogance, which is bravery and strength more than offset. Now Sir Pelamor rubbed his eyes. Where am I? He muttered drowsily. Then, as realization came, he sprang to his feet. Know you then, Sir Pelamor, said Merlin. He with whom you fought is none other than Arthur, the king. The knight stood motionless, dumbfounded but only for a moment. If so, then am I prepared for such punishment as may come. But be it what it may, I can say this, that none with whom I fought has had more skill or has shown greater bravery and chivalry. And more than that, none can say. And the knight bowed low his head, humbly, and yet with a touch of pride. Thou art a brave knight, Sir Palamore, and to us it seems that aside from a hasty temper, thou couldst well honor us by joining the knights of the round table. What sayest thou? That shall I gladly do, and here and now I pledge my loyalty to none other than Arthur. King of Britain, and to my fellow knights. And as for you, boy, I say it now, that my harsh tongue and temper ill became the true knight I claim to be. Brave words, Sir Palamore, said the king. So let us back to the castle. We see that Merlin is already ill at ease. Chapter 2 Alan Goes Forth So then the four, the good king, Sir Palamore, Merlin, the wizard, and Alan, page to Sir Percival, came to the great castle of Britain's king. Arthur led them into the great hall, in which were placed many small tables, and in the center of them all, was one of exceeding size and round. Here was to be found a place for Sir Palamore, but though the king searched long, few seats did he find which were not bespoken. Yet finally, he found one which did well for the new arrival. Here then shall you find your place at the round table, good night, said the king and we trust that you will bring renown and honor to your fellowship, succor to those who are in need, and that always will you show true chivalry. And we doubt not, but you will do all of these. Sir Palamore bowed low his head, nor did he make reply, because within him surged a great feeling of gratitude. The king turned away, and Merlin followed him to the appraised dais. So now, 
the two seated themselves and joined in earnest talk. At the door, Alan had waited, for he would not depart until his majesty had seated himself. A strange gladness was in the boy's heart, for had not his king fought for him? Here in this court, he too would find adventure. Sir Percival, mayhap, someday, would dub him knight, should he prove faithful and worthy. What greater glory could there be than to fight for such a king and with such brave men? But I must be off, he suddenly bethought himself, else Sir Percival will not be pleased. And therewith he made great haste to depart. I, sire, Merlin was now speaking. My dream is indeed weighted with importance. But by the same token, it cannot be known until you call your court together so that it may be heard by all. Then mean you, kind Merlin, that we must call not only those of the round table, but all the other knights and even pages and squires. Even so, sire, and yet, since Whit Sunday is but a few days away, that should be no hard matter. For the knights of your court, except Sir Lancelot and Sir Gawain, are here, prepared for such tourneys and feasts fit to celebrate that day. So then shall it be. Even now, our heralds shall announce that we crave the attendance of all those who pledge loyalty to our core. For I know well that they must be of no mean import, these things we shall hear. We pray only that they shall be for our good fortune. The wizard, making no reply, bent low and kissed his king's hand. Then he departed. came now his herald, whom the king had summoned. See to it that our court assembles this time tomorrow. Make far and distant outcry, so that all who are within ear may hear, and so hurry to our call. And mark you this well. We would have Sir Lancelot and our own nephew, Sir Gawain, present, even though they departed this early morn for Cornwall. See you to it. Swiftly, the herald made for the door to carry out the commands of his king. But even as he reached it, Arthur called again to him. We have a fancy, good herald. We fain would have you follow. Ask then Sir Percival, to let us have the services of his page, who seems a likely you, and bid this youth go hence after the two absent knights, Sir Gawain and Sir Lancelot, and give to them our message, beseeching their return. Tell not the boy, it is we, who have asked that he go. 
It shall be done as you will, sire, replied the herald. No surprise did he show at the strangeness of the king's command, for long had he been in his service, and well he knew the king's strange fancies. Sir Percival gave ready consent when found, so when the boy had returned from the errand forespoken, the herald announced that he must hasten after the two knights and bid them return. And by my faith, lad, you have but little time, and you must speed well. For tomorrow, at this time, is the conclave called, and the two knights are already many miles on their journey. Take you this horse, and hasten. Then, as the eager youth, quick pulsed, made haste to obey, the herald added in kindly voice, It would be well could you succeed, lad, for it is often true that through such missions newcomers prove future worthiness for knighthood. I thank you greatly for your kindness, replied the boy. I can but try to the uttermost. No rest shall I have until I meet with the two knights. So now, Alan sought out and bespoke his own lord. I wish you well, Alan, said Percival, and say you to my friends, Lancelot and Gawain, should they prove reluctant, that they will favor their comrade, Sir Percival, if they would make haste and hurry their return. Stop not to pick quarrel, nor to heed any call, urgent though it may seem. Prove my true page and worthy. I shall do my very best, my lord, and this my first commission shall prove successful, even though to make it so I perish. Swiftly now, rode forth the boyish vigor. Well, too, had Arthur chosen. Came a day when, then Alan, no braver, truer knight there was. But of that anon. Chapter 3 A Combat Good Lancelot, I trust that good fortune shall be with us, and that our adventures be many, and the nights we meet bold and brave. Of that, Gawain, we need have no fear, for adventure ever follows where one seeks, and often enough overtakes the seeker. Let us rather hope that we shall find Sir Tristram and Sir Denadian, both of Cornwall, for myself, I would joust with Sir Tristram, than whom braver and bolder knight does not live. And as for me, spoke Gawain, my anxiety is to see Mark, the king of Cornwall, and tell him to his face that I deem him a scurvy hound, since he promised protection to Beatrice of Banisar as she passed through his lands and yet broke his promise and so holds her for ransom. 
and there shall I help you, dear Gawain, for bitterly shall Mark rue his unknightly act. Shall I even wait for my event with Sir Tristram until your business is done? I, and gladly will Sir Tristram wait, my walk, if he deems it honor to meet with Sir Lancelot de Lake. For no knight there is who doth not know of your prowess and repute, Sir Tristram least of all. Kind words, Gawain, for which I thank you. Yeah, if I mistake not, yonder adventure seems to wait and we but a little more than two score miles from our gates. Ahead of them, and barring their way, were ten knights. Lancelot and Gawain stopped not a moment their pace, but rode boldly forward. And wherefore do you, strange knights, dispute our passage? asked Sir Gawain. Safely may you both pass, unless you be gentlemen of King Arthur's court, quoth the leader, who stepped forward to answer. And what if we be, Sir Knight, replied Sir Lancelot mildly. And if you be, then must you battle to the uttermost, for we owe loyalty the king rents who is enemy of King Arthur. Therefore are we his enemies too, and enemies also of all of King Arthur's subjects. And thus we flaunt our enmity. We here and now call King Arthur an upstart, and if you be of his core, you cannot do aught else but fight with us. Keep you your words, said Sir Gawain, until we have ceased our quarrel. Then, if you will, you may call Arthur any names. Prepare you. Boldly Sir Lancelot and Sir Gawain charged upon the foe. Nor did the knights who met them know who these two were, else milder were their tone. Such was the valor of the two, and such their strength, that four men were thrown from their horses in that first attack, and of these, two were grievously wounded. Together and well they fought. Easily did they withstand the men of King Rents. Four men were slain by their might, through wondrous and fearful strokes and four were sorely wounded. There lay the four against an oaken tree where they had been placed in a moment's lull. But two knights were left to oppose Lancelot and Gawain, but these two were gallant men and worthy, the very best of all the ten. So they fought again with each a single foe. Hard-pressed were the two men of King Rents, yet stubbornly they would not give way. And as each side gave blow for blow, so each called for Arthur, for Rents, whichever the case may be. 
Many hours they fought, until at last Sir Lancelot, by a powerful blow, crashed both foe and foe's horse to the ground. And as the other would further combat, though exceedingly weak, Sir Lancelot, appraised lance in hand by a swift stroke, smote sore from out of his weakened grasp. Thou art a brave knight, friend, and having fought so well, I ask no further penance but this, that you do now declare King Arthur no upstart. I care not for your enmity, but I will abide no slander. So must I then declare, since you have proven better man than I, declared the conquered knight. And for your leniency, I owe you thanks. Wherefore then, to whom am I grateful? I pray your name. That I shall not tell until I hear your own, replied Lancelot. I am known as Ronald Delisle, the other replied in subdued tone. Truly and well have I heard of you as a brave knight, was the reply. And now I know it to be so. I am Sir Lancelot de Lake. Then indeed is honor mine and glory too, for honor it is to succumb to Sir Lancelot. But now both heard the voice of Gawain. Weak had he grown, but weaker still his foe. Gawain had brought the other to earth, at last with swift and mighty blow, and such was the force of his stroke. The fallen man could not rise, although he made great ado so to do. So must I yield, this knight declared. Now will I admit Arthur no upstart, but though I die for it, I declare no greater king than Rents ever lived. By my faith, your words are but such as any knight must hold of his own sovereign prince. I cannot take offense at brave words, sir knight. Now, give me your name, for you are strong and worthy. I am Marvin, brother of him who fought with your comrade, and never have we met bolder and greater knights. I am Gawain, and he who fought your brother is none other than Lancelot. Then truly have we met no mean foes, replied the other. Conquered and conquerors now turned to make the wounded as comfortable as they well could be. After which, our two knights debated going on their journey or tarrying where they were until the morn. Let us wend our way until we find fit place for food and rest. There can we tarry, so spoke Lancelot, and the other agreed. Then they took leave of Sir Marvin and Sir Ronald, 
and so on their way. Not many miles did they go, however, before they found suitable place. Late was the hour, and weary, and much in need of rest were the two knights. So they slept while, half his journey covered, Alan sped forward, making fast time, because he was but light of weight, and his horse exceedingly swift. Chapter 4 Alan Meets the Knights From the first day, when Alan began to understand the tales of chivalry and knightly deeds, he fancied and longed for the day when he would grow into manhood, and by the same token into knighthood. Then would he go unto King Arthur on some Pentecost and crave the boon of serving him. Mayhap, too, he would through brave and worthy deeds gain seat among those of the round table. So he would dream, this youth with eager eyes, and his father, Sir Gaunt, soon come to know of his son's fancies, and was overly proud and pleased with him. For he himself had in his days been a great and worthy knight, of many adventures and victor of many an onslaught. It pleased him that son of his would follow in his footsteps. When Alan was fourteen, Sir Gaunt proceeded to Sir Percival, who was a great friend of his, and bespoke for his son the place of our page. And so to please Sir Gaunt, and for friendship's sake, Sir Percival gave ready consent. Therewith he found the youth pleasing to the eye, and of a great willingness to serve. So must we return to Alan, who is now on his way for many an hour. As he made his way, he marveled that he should have had notice brought upon himself, for he was young and diffident, and should by every token have escaped attention in these his first days at court. How would his heart have grown tumultuous had he known that none other than Arthur himself had made him choice? But that he was not to know for many a year. Night came on, and the boy traveled far. Yet gave he no thought to rest, for he knew that he could ill afford to tarry, and that only with the best of fortune could he overtake the two knights in time to make early return. About him the woods were dark and mysterious. Owls hooted now and then, and other sounds of the night there were. Yet was the boy so filled with urge of his mission that he found not time to think of ghosts nor black magic. Then, as he turned the road, he saw the dim shadow of a horse 
ghostly it seemed, until through closer view it proved flesh and blood. Lying close by was a knight who seemed exceeding weak and sorely wounded. Quick from his horse came Alan, and so made the strange knight be of greater comfort. Now the knight spoke weakly. Grievously have I been dealt with by an outlaw band. This day was I to meet my two brothers, Sir Ronald and Sir Marvin. It cannot proceed for very weakness. Which way do you go, lad? I keep on my way to Cornwall, replied Alan. From yonder do my brothers journey, and should you meet with them, bid them hasten here, so that together we can go forth to find this outlaw band, and it chastise. That shall I do, Sir Knight. It grieves me that I may not stay, and give you such aid as I may, but so must I hasten that I cannot. Yet shall I stop at first above, and commission them to hurry here for you. For that, I thank you, lad, and should time ever come when you my aid require, know then to call on Philip of Guile. So Alan pressed forward. At early dawn, he came upon Sir Ronald and Sir Marvin, who had found rest along the wayside. And when he found that these were the two knights, he gave them their brother's message. Then we must hasten thence, Ronald, and thank you, lad, for bringing us this message. Choose you, and you can rest a while and partake of such food that we have. Of food I will have, sir knights, for hunger calls most urgently. But tarry, I cannot, for I must find Sir Lancelot and Sir Gawain. Mayhap you have met with them. Of a truth, we can say that we have met with them and suffered thereby. Yet do we hold proof as to their knightly valor and skill. They have gone but a little way, for it was their purpose to find rest nearby. We doubt not you will find them at the first fair bone. In the meantime, must we hasten to our brother's aid and leave our wounded comrades to such care as they may get. The knight spoke truly, for Alan found upon inquiry that the two he saw were lodged close by. Boldly the boy called, now for Sir Lancelot, now for Sir Gawain, but both were overtired and of great weariness, and it took many minutes before at last Sir Lancelot opened wide his eyes. And who are you, boy? For he knew him not. My name is Alan, and I am page to Sir Percival. Come you with a message from Sir Percival? Does he need our help? 
Nay, sir, rather do I come with a message from the court, the herald of which sent me, urging you and Sir Gawain to return before sundown, for a great conclave is to gather which the king himself has called. Awaken then, thou sleepy knight, Sir Lancelot called to his comrade, who had not stirred. It were a pity that all this must be told to you again. Sir Gawain now arose, rubbing his eyes still filled with sleep. To him, Alan repeated his message. What say you, Gawain? Shall we return? As for me, replied Sir Gawain, I would say no. What matter if we are or are not present? Already we are late for our present journey's purpose. So say I, let us not return, but rather ask this you to bespeak for us the king's clemency. And I, too, am of the same mind, Gawain. So, lad, Sir Lancelot turned to the boy and spoke kindly. Return you to the court and give them our message. This errand on which we are at present bound holds urgent need else would we return at our king's behest. Rufful, and with great gloom, Alan saw his errand fail. Kind sirs, Sir Percival bid me bespeak for him as well, and ask you, as true comrades, to make certain to return. Furthermore, my knights, this... My first mission would be unfortunate if it did not terminate successfully. So I pray you that you return. Loud and long, Sir Lancelot laughed, and yet not unkindly, while Sir Gawain placed hand upon the boy's shoulder approvingly. By my faith, Lancelot, we can do no more than return. That Percival speaks counts for much, but this youth's honor is also at stake. The light of laughter played in the speaker's eyes. Yes, said Sir Lancelot, let us return. It would be pity to send this lad back after his long journey without success. So then to our horses, and let us make haste. The hours are few, and the miles are many. Thank you for listening to Sleepy. Good night.